What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. Welcome to The Cap, the college admissions process podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today, Andrew Brewick, who is the Assistant Vice Provost for Enrollment Management and the Director of Admissions at Washington State University. Andrew, I can't tell you what an honor it is to have you here today. Thank you so much, and how are you? John, I'm, I'm great. I'm uh, delighted to be with you and excited to have this conversation. Thanks so much for the invitation. It is our honor and pleasure, Andrew. Thank you so much. So let's get right to it. I was curious to know, Andrew, what are some of the things that you personally love about Washington State University that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Well, John, of course, it's hard to pinpoint just one or two things. Uh, I would say that the number one characteristic that I love about Washington State University, which we, of course, shortened to WSU, uh, go Cougs! <laughs> is is the is the spirit of the community, right? So WSU, the the main campus, the Pullman campus, is a large research one institution in a small rural climate, right? So it, it affords our students the opportunity to come and really you know embrace that full residential campus experience and engage fully in you know four or five years of living the life of the mind and going through the maturation processes that we've constructed for them and forging relationships that they will have for the remainder of their days and then it gives me great pleasure to go out into the wider community and i since taking this position 16 months ago, I have never been in an airport where somebody didn't shout, go kooks at me because I was wearing <laughs> WSU gear. It is a family and there is this like overarching kook spirit that really is emblematic of how people feel toward this institution and the fact that you once a kook, you're always a kook. And so out there in the wider world, the you know, kooks abound. And they are always delighted to come up and share with me their personal experiences in Pullman or our campus in Vancouver, our campus in Tri-Cities, you know, even students who engage in, in our online global campus. They have that same Coug spirit. And so I think that that is probably what I like most is both the environment as well as what the environments across our campuses create in terms of student commitment and community. Well, thank you so much for that overview, Andrew. We really appreciate it. And I know that the WSU family spirit is alive and well. So again, we really appreciate it. So let me ask, students usually spend at least four years in college. So visiting campus before committing to a school is important for them to get a feeling of the campus and of course the surrounding area. So if a student is able to come to campus, what are some of the areas that they should visit and what are some questions they should be asking to help them determine whether or not WSU is the right fit for them? Yeah, it's a great question, John. I, I think I'd divide that into a couple of categories. I think first, um, it is absolutely 
critical, if at all possible, that you visit the, the campus. And of course, all of our campuses have like a, a campus visit experience. We have our tour guides. So, you know, we really do a very intentional job to create an experience that hopefully will provide students and families with the information that they need. But also in, in advance, I would encourage students and families to do a little bit of research around what are some of the kind of overriding themes and uh, metrics for our, for our institutions. You know, it has never been easier for uh, families and students to access high quality information about how well universities perform. And, you know, I think it would be naive to say that that we shouldn't be held accountable to those things, right? So one of the, the most important things that I care about as a professional and that I will care about when I am, you know, evaluating schools with my two daughters is what's the graduation rate, right? So how what's the percentage of students that an institution moves through in a timely fashion? And that, you know, the, that's separated into the four-year graduation rate and the six-year graduation rate, because as you identified, you know, students spend on average four to five years uh, participating in the baccalaureate or bachelor's degree experience. So I'd say in advance, you want to look that up, right? You want to know how well an institution does at supporting its students through the graduation. And the other thing that you'd look at is what we call student retention, right? Which is kind of an awkward word to use. But what we mean is <laughs> what's the percentage of students who are retained or who uh, choose to remain enrolled from the first year to the second year? And that is critical because we know that a student is most academically and socially at risk in their first semester at a university or college. Um, and, then, and then subsequently their second semester, so the, the, the full duration of their first year. So I would suggest that, that students and families do some research in those areas in advance. And then during the campus tour, you know, you really want Every campus is going to show you the laboratory. Every campus is going to show you the library. And every campus is going to show you their fanciest and nicest dining hall. Well, I think also <laughs> you want to see you want to see what is the most common residence hall because that's where you're going to live. And you want to, you know, try the food because that's what you're going to eat. And every student I've ever met complains about the food by week five. And that's just part of the experience. But <laughs> when you're on a campus tour, you, you want to, you know, take advantage and try and kick the tires, get a sense of how it's really going to feel to be a student on that campus day in and day out, especially on, in campuses like ours. Right. This is a residential campus with an amazing relationship with the community, but we're not in a metro center. Right. We, you know, to be a Coug in Pullman. That means that you're going to be really, you know, in the campus and the and the wider community of just 30,000 people. And that's going to be the primary aspects of your life. In terms of questions, I would I would suggest strongly that students and families take advantage of the connection to a current student that they'll almost certainly get. So the entire, you know, phalanx of um, tour guides that we employ are all current students. And if you want to know what it feels like to be a student on any campus, you don't ask, you know, you don't, you don't ask a grizzled veteran like me, <laughs> you ask a student, right? You say, what's your favorite thing? Where do you like to hang out? Do you feel supported? Um, you know, and I think in terms of some of the other 
you know, like uh, questions that that are pressing among students and families is, does this institution offer the major that I'm intending? But let's take a step back, John, and, and recognize that two thirds of students in higher education change their major on average twice. So, you know, right. the the right. the major and I would say that developmentally, it's somewhat inappropriate for us to think that 17 and 18 year olds in the main are going to know what their <laughs> major should be. That's why they come to, to higher education. But I think, you know, identifying a larger, we kind of call them meta majors, right? So like making sure that an institution has programs within the kind of sphere of your major interest areas, and then trust the process to help you identify the specific major, you know, during your time at an institution. Well, that's tremendous advice and great insight in terms of what to do if, in fact, you get a chance to visit the campus. Andrew, you did mention doing your research. You talked about graduation rates. You talked about retention rates. Can you share with us what are the graduation rates and the retention rate at WSU? Yeah, absolutely, John. Um, I will have to, for the graduation rate, I'll actually have to go onto the college scorecard, which is uh, a federally available website that I would encourage everybody to look up um, because I don't have that uh, right at, at my fingertips, especially the six-year graduation rate. So I'll get that for you here in a second. But the our retention rate hovers between uh, 80 and 83%, right? Wow. So four out of five students choose to remain at WSU on the Pullman campus uh, from their first year onward. And our six-year graduation rate is north of 60%. And so, right. you know, we, we, do, um, we do a remarkable job supporting our students. I mean, especially given the fact that we are a major research one institution in a rural setting. Um, it, it's, it's one of the most, you know, biggest pride points that I have about WSU is when I go to conferences and talk to, to my colleagues um, at other institutions, like for like institutions, they are amazed that we continue to be over 80% <laughs> retention. And it's a testament to the incredible work that goes on by staff members and faculty, because in this culture, we are all student retention specialists. We are all here to make sure that students are successful, and that is our primary directive. Well, we appreciate that, and of course, yes, it is a testament to the work that you do in admissions to bring the right students to your campus, but also the work that the uh, university does to foster that community and family feel to keep students happy and on your campus beyond the first year. So thank you so much for that, Andrew. And by the way, if you have any links that you want me to share in the show notes, please provide them to me. I always put the WSU, for example, Office of Undergraduate Admissions in the show notes, but if there's anything else, please send it to me and I'll make it available to the students and their parents. Will do. So I was also curious, what are some of the things that students do to demonstrate their interest in attending WSU? And do you track such things as your overall process? Um, so absolutely, we do track. Um, you know, a lot of our students... And, and this is the similar for most state institutions like ours, you know, the vast majority of our incoming students, both first years and transfers are from the state of Washington, right? So um, Washington State University is a land grant institution um, and written into the land grant, you know, the moral act named after Justin Morrill is the fact that we are to provide an education to the sons and daughters of toil, 
And that's something that uh, I and this office care deeply about. And But in terms of your question, yes. So we, of course, are tracking student behavior online. And many of our students will begin engaging with uh, WSU through our web presences, or you know, we will be marketing to them in social media platforms. And so, you know, as as we all know, our little digital overlords that we carry in our pockets are tracking <laughs> everything we do, and so we can see that information. But then we also have the opportunity to uh, track students as they come through, you know, we host a FFA conference, right? And we and we host um, some business plans and we host all sorts of events that draw students at kind of all um, sections of the continuum in preparation for the university. And then we also engage with, with specific programming for students who might be considering WSU. So uh, a great example is for students who have already been admitted, we have a series of what are called Experience WSU events. Uh, we have one tomorrow, and I'll be giving the welcome to that group. And it's you know an opportunity for students, and we do target students who have not, not visited in the past. And so we try and make sure that it's an opportunity for students to come and have that experience, to feel the Coug spirit, um, and to see our campus. And then we incentivize it by, you know, if a student comes to experience WSU, then they earn a one-time $1,000 visitation scholarship. So we defray wow. their cost of attendance for their first year by a thousand bucks, because that's how important it is for us to have our students come and enjoy our community. Um, in terms of, of tracking other experiences, um, especially for Washington residents, you know, we have and maintain really strong relationships with our high school counselors. And so we will be made aware of students who are intending to apply to WSU years in advance. You know, we'll, we'll get requests for information or we'll get a high school counselor who says, you know, my, my ninth grader, Richard Jones, just absolutely loves WSU. So, and, and asked me to ask you to put him on the mailing list. And that happens more, honestly, more than people would, would expect. We, we track our, our students through. And then of course, we're very, very concerned about helping students to complete the application and like very, and very smoothly transition from an applicant to an admitted student, an admitted student to what we call a matriculant. So someone who has um, registered for a, a slate of first semester classes, and then that student moves into new COOG orientation. And so what we try and do is not only track students to reach the admission phase, but then very intentionally create a wonderful transition for a student as they're joining us here, either on the physical campus or on our digital campus. Well, we appreciate that. And Andrew, what about an honors program? Do you have one? And how are students considered for the program? In other words, do they have to apply separately? So it does require uh, a, a supplemental application for students. Um, they will, at the point of being admitted to WSU, they then can go in and they are expected to complete two writing prompts. And so it's an essay-based application. Um, those are then considered by our Honors College Administration. Um, the population is winnowed down to the number of slots that they have available, and those students are invited to uh, join the Honors College, and they often find that out even before the summer starts. 
so there, it's a wonderful opportunity for students to have um, a more tailored approach to what we call the U-Core, the university core requirements, um, and then also a really enriching experience that uh, likely will connect them with research opportunities if they're moving in the STEM areas uh, or you know, internships with different uh, institutions and entities. So yeah, we've got a wonderful honors presence. Well, that's terrific. And I know that we were speaking earlier before we started recording about the fact that Washington State University is test not considered. Correct. Andrew, could you explain exactly what that means? Absolutely. So, um, you know, formerly we would use the phrase test blind, um, but that, of course, was inconsiderate toward our, our non-sighted uh, population. So we have elected to change the term and all public baccalaureate institutions in Washington state are now test not considered. And that is exactly what we need. You are, you are welcome to send your ACT or SAT scores to WSU. We will accept them, but we will not factor them in to the evaluation for admissibility. To be, to be quite honest, the research indicates that how a student performs in high school, as evidenced by their high school transcript, is the best indicator of college success. So for, for a long time, you know, institutions were using test scores and, and we would kind of balance them against the high school GPA. But in the main, the high school GPA is the best indicator. And so we uh, elected, of course, like all other institutions during the pandemic, when testing was simply not available to students, we, became, we went test not considered um, and we intend to stay that way moving forward. Well, we appreciate that. And you mentioned the GPA. I was curious because the transcript is the most important part of the academic portion of the application. Can you walk us through what you're looking for when reviewing an applicant's transcript? And does it differ based on the student's intended major? Yeah, great, great question. So um, I like to, to think of our team here as academic archaeologists that essentially what we do is dig through transcripts as if they're historical artifacts, which of course they are. And, and what we do is a process called holistic review. So what we're trying to, to do is take all the information that we have available about the student in the absence of test scores, because those are not considered, and to try and understand whether or not they have sufficient preparation to join the WSU community. Within the state of Washington, it's actually legislated as to what a student needs to have completed in order to be college ready. So we have what are called CATERS, right, which are the College Academic Distribution Requirements, just one of the nicest, most friendly acronyms you'll ever meet, and no high school student <laughs> knows what they are. Um, so so it, that in many ways makes our work easier because it sets a, a set of uniform expectations. Um, and so what we're really looking for is completion of Algebra 2 so that we know that a student has sufficient quantitative understanding to come in and, you know, and be ready for the rigors of uh, college mathematics. We're looking for four years of English. We're looking for, you know, three years of social science. And, and we're looking for, you know, quantitative-based science that also has a lab, so biology and chemistry. Um, 
and then so we have those as kind of our foundation and we're also looking for you know if a student has taken advantage of additional enrichment opportunities if they took ap classes an ib curriculum so the international baccalaureate curriculum um, if they did within the state of washington we have what's called running start which is um, it's college level curriculum delivered through either a university or a community college um, that high school students can take advantage of. And so what we do is take a look at, at all of those different pieces and provided that a student has got adequate preparation and a minimum GPA for, for us, it's of a 3.0, then that student is very, very likely to be admitted to WSU. In fact, in the state of Washington, we're actually in the second year of a program that we call WAGAP, which stands for Washington Guaranteed Admissions Program. And to have your admission guaranteed to any of five participating institutions, you need a 3.0 and be on track to be college ready based on the caters that I described earlier. So it's actually, it's, it's very simple. You know, the number of times that I'm in a social situation and somebody learns that I'm the director of admissions at WSU, they say, okay, <laughs> what's the secret? And I say, there's no secret. There's none. If you're a student in Washington, you've got a 3.0 and you're on track to be college ready, you're a kook. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And I love how you explain the caters, the running start program. And I love the reference as well, by the way, to you and your colleagues being academic archaeologists, explaining your holistic approach to the overall application. And speaking of the application process, Andrew, I was also curious, what are the different ways a student may apply to Washington State University? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? Yeah, so we have two application instruments. This is the first year that we launched a partnership with the Common App. Uh, and so the Common App is partnered with over 1,200 institutions uh, across the U.S. So roughly a quarter of all colleges and universities now accept the Common App. And the benefit to the Common App is that a student need only complete that bio, you know, bio demo information, parental information, all of that once. And so once you've, once you've filled out the shell of your application, then you go through and identify the different institutions to which you want to apply. Um, most will have a supplemental form. I think ours is six questions, so very easy. So it's just a quick, you know, clickety, click, 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 send it off. You do have to pay each application fee. So there's not a, there's not a single fee for your common app. Um, you have to pay each application fee to each institution. And that's really, you know, increased the diversity of our applicant pool. It has increased, especially non-resident students who, uh, for whatever reason, you know, the, and these are students that when we spoke earlier, John, about how do we track students? Well, these are students who, that we call stealth applicants. We had no idea, right? right? right. Like it might be that they're avid ESPN watchers and they know that the WSU flag has flown at every single game day and they're like, impulse, click, I'm, I'm going to apply to WSU. Um, so, so there is benefit to that, that it really, um, it removes the burden of having to duplicate and, and fill in that information on multiple application instruments. But the benefit of our locally controlled application, the one that, that we, uh, we tailor to our specific needs, is that it probably requires a third, if not a quarter of the time 
right? So the common app, right. it, it, right. it takes upwards of an hour to, right. com to complete that shell. And our application can be completed in 15 to 18 minutes. Wow. And so, and that's because we did that intentionally. We did it intentionally to try and make it the best user experience it could be and to strip it down to just that information that we need to, you know, do federal reporting and make an admissions decision. Um, one of the dirty little secrets in higher education is that everybody with a research question wants to have it included on the application for admission, which one, makes the applications longer, and two, is confusing to the student because <laughs> often you're asking information that has no bearing on admissibility. Right. And so we decided last year, it was like, nope, we're going to strip this thing down. Um, but over 60% of our applications came through the Common App. So th it's clear that that there is a, a great groundswell and, and momentum around having that information entered once and then be able to apply to multiple institutions with great ease. And I think that's serving our students, diversifying our applicant pool. I'm happy either way. Hey, podcast friends, are you or someone you know in need of some custom college gear? Prep Sportswear carries a wide variety of college fan gear and apparel, including T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, hats, and so much more. So whether you're getting ready to go to the game, hanging out on campus, organizing a college bed decorating party, or you're simply looking to build upon your college gear, Prep Sportswear has you covered. Check out our Prep Sportswear affiliate partnership link in the show notes for all the details. As an affiliate partner with Prep Sportswear, the podcast does receive a small commission if you make a purchase. But rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel that would benefit our listeners. And now, back to the show. Well, we really appreciate that insight. And I was also curious, Andrew, do you offer an ED, early decision option, early action, rolling? What are the options that you offer at WSU? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other in terms of those options? So we, we uh, admit on a rolling basis. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our students who are super gung-ho and want to fill out the application in August, they're going to get uh, an admission or a denied decision, um, you know, within a few days. Um, the, but we do have what's called our application priority date, and that's January 31st. And that aligns with right. our local scholarship application deadline. And so the, the benefits there are if a student has applied, they can also then apply for, you know, specific scholarships that will be um, decided after January 31. Also, if you want to be considered for our top scholar designation, which is one of our highest academic honors for incoming first year students, your application needs to be submitted by January 31st. Um, now, you don't, you don't sacrifice any of our what are called um, merit waivers, right? So scholarships based on high school academic performance. Um, you don't sacrifice those until our March 31st uh, deadline. Understood. Well, thank you so much for that insight. I really appreciate it. And I received some inquiries about students that are homeschooled. Andrew, how does the application process differ for students that are homeschooled? Yeah, so, you know... What we do primarily is, is work with and um, conduct holistic review for students who you know, have strong academic preparation, have met all of the caters and our expectations. And so those are, those are pretty simple. We're able to, to work through those quite seamlessly. 
But then when we get students who have some kind of alternate background, so homeschool is a great example. Um, we also have students who are right on the margins of admissibility and warrant a second look by someone with additional training. That's where we have kind of second tier admissions officers who go through. And for homeschool students, I mean, we, we will go through, look up the accrediting body. We will go through and review the curriculum. We dig deeply in because, you know, one, that's what the student deserves. And the student deserves it because we need to know that the student does indeed have the academic preparation, demonstrated academic preparation to join WSU because, um, and we take this very seriously. If a student, the worst thing that could happen is we admit a student and they come and, you know, leave WSU with a bad experience for which they were not adequately prepared and they have some debt and no degree. Right. And so to us, right. it, it is kind of our sacred mission to make sure that we are providing this opportunity to students who, you know, who are qualified for it and are prepared for it. And in order to do that for homeschool students, it, often it means we're taking like a, a half day of somebody's time to go through and do the due diligence, do the research to make sure that that student is evaluated in the way that they deserve. And then similarly, you know, it's those students like right on the margins of admissibility. So a student, you know, while the we have the caters in Washington, those kind of core requirements we as institutions are allowed to waive up to three caters. And that is because we have students in districts that don't offer some of those courses. Um, we're a local control state. So, you know, we, we have to be mindful that some students simply didn't have AP curricula at their fingertips. There's right. no way they could do running start. And so we, we go through and for those students who are right on the fence, um, if they're really on the fence, we take it to a group review. And so it goes through two officers. And if those two officers still don't feel like, like they can do it, we bring it to a group of between five and seven people. And we meet every week and we look at, at individual cases, making sure that we're giving the students the time and attention that they deserve. And then together we come to, to a consensus around admit or deny. Well, thank you so much for the comprehensive answer, and that certainly is a great mission that you described, so we appreciate it. And also, Andrew, does Washington State University offer any programs for students that may have had an IEP while in high school to, of course, help ensure that they continue to be successful once they're on your campus? Absolutely, John. So uh, we have an access center, and the access center is specifically designed to help provide accommodations to students with known learning challenges, with the, the whole myriad of learning differences. And so students can access those. But here's the most important thing that I tell to students and parents. When a student comes to a university, we are not allowed to ask whether or not that student had accommodations in their K-12 right. experience. Right. It is 100% the responsibility of the student to bring forward their learning concerns so that we can get the documentation necessary to provide the student the accommodation that they need and deserve. I think it's um, often misunderstood by both by students and families and probably the wider culture that the whole reason for accommodations is to level the difference between potential and performance, 
right? I think that a lot of people stigmatize the use of accommodations because they think that, you know, a, a student with learning differences is has less potential, and that is simply not true, right? And That's I think right. that it's it's critical that we, you know, as a as a community and a nation, remove the stigma around that. Um, and the other thing that that I would tell, that I tell to parents very much specifically, is it is incredibly common for students who had an IEP and accommodations in high school to not want to take advantage of accommodations when they come to a university setting. I have seen this time and time and time again. We also see students who, you know, ha have benefited from medication in the past and they decide to stop taking their medication when they come because they're, they, it, it is a rite of passage, right? You're coming to a university. In many ways, you are reinventing yourself and they choose to reinvent themselves in a way that puts them at a significant disadvantage. And so when I, when I work with parents who have, you know, students with, learning differences or are pursuing accommodations, I counsel the parents to make sure they're calling in week four or five and asking questions because that's when the cracks typically start to appear. Um, and accommodations take some time to set up. So you wanna be as proactive as you can be on that front to get them established and then make sure that the student is like often running with them from day one, because if they wait a couple of weeks it increases the likelihood that the student thinks I'm doing fine, and then right. midterms come and the reality right. changes. Right. Well, I appreciate that. And I want to dig a little deeper in terms of asking questions specific to helping students. Andrew, how can incoming first-year students best prepare themselves for their first semester at a college or university? Yeah. So um, I have the honor of you know, giving the welcome at these different events and, and speaking to students as they come for new Coug orientation. And I would say that one thing that's important is to really engage fully in the experiences that they're having right now, but also begin to reflect on what they want their university experience to really look and feel like, and to also recognize that they are going to find themselves in very, very different classroom settings. So, you know, when we talk about this generation of students that has lived through the COVID disruption, um, what we hear overwhelmingly from students is concern about their preparation and maybe some gaps in, in their preparation. And, you know, what I say to those students is, you know, number one, we would not have admitted you if we didn't know that you can be successful at Washington State University, right? We have to fight the, the imposter syndrome on a daily basis because the imposter syndrome, that, that sense that you are just simply not supposed to be somewhere and that you don't belong is, is rife in our community because these are, you know, these are students who have just moved through adolescence. They are moving into adulthood. And in many ways, we've built this experience to give them opportunities to build those skills and the knowledge and, and to go through the maturation process. But in many instances, we don't tell them that, right? We, we built right. the structure, we built the process, right. and then we say like, all right, student, move in and now we're gonna help shape you to through a transformational activity. Well, so what I would say to students is, you know, prepare yourself to have a set of experiences that are going to 
really shape who you want to be in the future. Um, the second piece of guidance that I give is please be creative in how you undertake the academic exercise, right? That in many ways, learning has been school or parental directed, right? The, the, the curriculum has helped you to complete activities and projects in a, in a timely way because we've structured it in that, in that fashion. Well, universities are by and large, they're significantly less structured is how I'll, I'll frame that. Now, right. in response to the needs of students coming through COVID, we at WSU, as well as across the higher ed sector, we are being far more kind of instructive on, on how we um, chunk out assignments and, and how we track students through uh, their progress. But in the main, you know, much of a university education is self-directed. And that is going to require a great deal more, you know, uh, self-direction, discipline, tenacity. You know, I'm reminded of a, a former colleague of mine who, when we present together, he would say, he'd say, well, listen, adulthood means doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. <laughs> and I said, and I would follow that up with, and you know, uh, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. <laughs> so uh, that's how I kind of nutshell my, my guidance to students is, you know, th this is going to be one of the most important and impactful, you know, long and experiences of your life. And it will be what you make of it. And also the onus will fall to the student for them to advocate for themselves, right? And so um, increasingly we see social anxiety among our students, especially coming in the long tail of COVID. And we can, we can prove it empirically. The number of students coming forward to ask for help in our tutoring center and in our supplemental instruction sessions has declined precipitously. And it's in many, in many ways, because there is less comfort with simply walking into an office and saying, I am in trouble. I could really right. use some help. Right. And so that's the other piece of guidance that I give to incoming first year students is advocate for yourself and then advocate for your roommate, advocate for your neighbor. Because if we don't know that there is an issue, we cannot help address it. Well, we appreciate that guidance. That's terrific. And you mentioned COVID quite a few times in your answer. So given the significant disruption of COVID-19, how else have the characteristics of incoming students changed? And how are higher education institutions adapting to meet the needs of your incoming students? So it's hard to, to quantify and identify specifically how the students have changed. One of them is social anxiety, for sure, which I talked about just a little bit ago, and this seeming unwillingness to put themselves forward, ask for assistance, engage with people in different offices. We're also seeing some um, attendance and enrollment challenges that we had not seen previously. And I think that there is this sense among incoming students that on some days, you just can't, right? Like, I think that's a really instructive meme that has come out of the pandemic, that there are times when the malaise comes over a student and they just don't feel like they can do it. 
And it's surprising to me because when we look at the transcripts and the activities that students have done in high school, when we look at the the commitment to community and the desire to make change and, and be a part of the solution in the future, it's shocking how well-prepared right. and tenacious these students right. are. The only, the only group that doesn't know how much talent and potential they possess is them. And I don't think that that's unique to this generation, but I think right. that we have never before had a disruption of that magnitude that we could kind of study as, as it moves through the different levels of K-12 into post-secondary or higher education. And so to the, to the question, what are we doing? Well, very fundamentally, what we're doing is asking students what they need. Right? right. That in right. in many ways, universities have been fairly paternalistic in, in the past where we kind of build the experience for you and you you will come and you will live this like monk style ascetic life in a in a residence hall and you will engage in the life of the mind. And we do lofty terms, all of which I actually fundamentally believe in. And, and that's why I continue to be in higher education. But the reality also is we need to understand what both the academic as well as personal and social needs and mental health needs and physical health needs are of our incoming students. And we all need to recognize that things have changed, right? That these students Absolutely. had a, a profoundly different experience in their high school years than we have had in the past. And one of the interesting things that it has um a phenomenon that has arisen, especially within the admissions sector, is, and it is less so this year, but in past years, specifically last year, we realized that students did not have the same access to college and career counseling that they had had in the past, because of course, that's something that by necessity is jettisoned in an, in an, you know, an online capacity or if you're only right. two days in, in the school. Right. So as our schools transitioned back during the long tail of COVID, one thing that was lost was that preparation. And so we were seeing students who were like wildly underprepared to complete the application for admission because nobody had ever had the opportunity to talk to them about how to do it. Right. And so, you know, we the metaphor that we use here in our office is it used to be like a well-running airline where students were like walked <laughs> through the experience and they checked in and you did the application and you got them on the plane <laughs> and you know, everybody knew what to expect and everybody felt comfortable. You might have some new flyers that you, that you talked to. And then starting last year, we were like running helicopter missions to save, <laughs> you know, students in, in, in the Bering Strait. Like it, it felt much more emergent, like an emergency and it's because that that very intentional pipeline was disrupted, um, and so now, thankfully, we are seeing students get the same the the a similar access to college and career readiness that that we had prior to the pandemic. Well, I appreciate that, and the fact that you're intentional about asking students what is it that you need but also meeting them where they are. It really sounds like you have something for every single student, both inside of your classrooms and beyond. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, I was going to say, for a long time, we would talk about students being college ready. Right. And I would say that we at WSU have flipped that paradigm on its head 
And now we are saying, is WSU student ready? Right. Right. And and I think that that embracing that kind of philosophical frame is uh, is what's going to help us really adapt and meet the needs of this generation as they come through our classrooms. Well, that's awesome. And this has been a terrific conversation. So, Andrew, before I ask my last question, what I'd like to ask you, because we had a comprehensive conversation here, but I'm curious, is there a question that I didn't ask or a topic that didn't come up that you wish to share with us now? Honestly, John, no. Uh, I feel like the questions have been wonderfully insightful and that we've had the opportunity to really talk, as you said, comprehensively about how students can find their way into higher education. Uh, I hope that a theme that resonates for your, your listeners, be they students and families alike, is that the value of a bachelor's degree is the best investment that a family can make in their student's future. That, you know, when economists are asked, what's the what's the best investment that you could make? Nine out of 10 of them say earning a bachelor's degree. And I think that there has been some chipping away at the perceived value of a bachelor's degree specifically and higher education institutions in the past five to eight years. And I just want, you know, um, students and parents alike to understand that, you know, well, I can give you the number, the earning potential of a student with a bachelor's degree is across their their you know working life is 1.3 million dollars that you stand to earn 1.3 million dollars more with an earned bachelor's degree and it does not ma- matter what that bachelor's degree is in right we've right. also seen right. this a significant drop in students participating in the humanities so you know english and history but if you look at, at the working world Um, People with humanities backgrounds, speaking as a proud son of two social studies teachers and a person who possesses (laughs) degrees in history and philosophy, the people in the humanities are disproportionately represented in leadership in organizations than people than any other degree type. So I just wanted to demystify that and put like a serious (laughs) plug in for philosophers across the globe. Well, that is fantastic. And this has been a tremendous conversation. Unfortunately, Andrew, it does lead us to the last question, which is, what are your top three pieces of advice you would provide students and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? Yeah, uh, excellent question. I will try to to limit it to three. Um, First, (laughs) start early. Um, We see a lot of students and families who, in the presence of other stressors, and life commitments, they, they come late. And in doing so, you, you often are closing some doors, especially financially, um, around scholarships and, and those other pieces. So start early, do your, you know, number two would be, you know, do your research. And by that, I mean, not only, you know, research the institutions, you know, what is your student to faculty ratio, you know, your retention rate, your graduation rate, you want to do all of that. But I think also in that research conversation, I think you want to frame for the student, what's the experience that they're really looking for? Do do they want a small residential experience? Do they want to be in a city to have, you know, access to lots of cosmopolitan activities? Do they want to come to, you know, a a midsize or upper midsize institution like WSU that's in a rural, um, you know, piece of the landscape, but offers that like quintessential residential campus experience? Because, you know, 
I often am working with students and families. They say, you know, I looked at, I looked for the top mechanical engineering program, and that's the institution that I applied for. And I said, that's absolutely great. What I would suggest is you look for the top 15 mechanical engineering programs at institutions where you will feel most, you know, comfortable and confident. And then the final piece, and this kind of goes right into, to parents, I would say, please be honest and candid with your student about any kind of financial realities that may exist within your family. Because we, the number of times that we are working with a student who is struggling as a junior, so close to completing a degree, and they learn that their parents are simply not able to continue to support them financially in the way that they need to remain enrolled is absolutely heartbreaking. And I think that, you know, speaking as a father myself and then a higher education professional who has worked with thousands and thousands of students and parents, you don't do your student any service by trying to stretch your finances to make these opportunities possible. I think within the higher education landscape right now, uh, there are more opportunities for students to have creative paths to a successful you know, bachelor's degree than we've ever seen in the past. And I, you know, on behalf of higher education writ large, I think I can say we want students to, to complete degrees in the way that is of greatest benefit and shortest duration for them because that's, that's how we can best serve our student population. And that's how we can kind of contribute to, you know, the, the globe, the, our regions, our states, as well as the entire, entire world to help, to help create a context in which more educated individuals are gonna be able to contribute creatively into the labor force and really realize uh, the future that we all want for our children. Well, those are great pieces of advice. And this has been a tremendous conversation, Andrew. I can't thank you enough. I'm so happy as I know that this is going to help so many students and their parents as they navigate through the college admissions process. I really hope to have you again. You are awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Uh, this has been a real pleasure. Uh, and I'd love to come back if you'd have me. Thank you, Andrew. We really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. 
Thank you all and best wishes.